Well, good morning again. And let me just once again welcome uh, any of you who are new to fellowship. We are so glad that you're here. Uh, We really do uh, just appreciate the way that God works in our church and brings uh, people from all different backgrounds. And uh, we just want you to know if you're here and you're a guest, we want you to know you're welcome and uh, that we're glad that you're here and we believe that God uh, wants to speak to you. And we hope that he has already done that uh, even through our worship already. We're moving now into a time of preaching and teaching the word of God. And that's an important part of why we gather. And uh, it's something we do, not just because churches do this, uh, but because it is what God has called us to do in, in his word when we gather in his name, to hear the word of God preached, uh, not just hear it, but you are actively participating by receiving and being open to how God wants you to respond to his word. And uh, today I will begin a a new preaching series. Uh, You can see that here on the screen. It's called Ruined. It's a teaching that is really designed to help us understand sin from a biblical framework. Uh, What does the Bible actually say Uh, about sin, not a cultural understanding, not even a personal one. I've even heard that, Uh, you know, this is my own personal understanding, but a biblical one is what we're seeking to do throughout this uh, teaching. And you might be thinking as you hear that, as I might have uh, already thought about, as I talked about introducing this, that, you know, you might respond and say, oh, that's, you know, so nice, pastor, what an uplifting series. For the fall, Um, I anticipated that might happen. Uh, And uh, again, let me just say that uh, the way that God leads and works in what it is that we're going to be studying together, my my heart and goal is simply to just try to follow uh, what it is He's leading me to do. And uh, this is where I believe the Spirit has led me. And uh, let me also give you an example of of why I am preaching on this topic. And I'll do a little bit more of that as we go along. But this is just one example. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield, who some of you may know, is a a female Christian author and a very good one, uh, very solid. Uh, She wrote The Gospel Comes with a House Key and Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. But she was writing about this problem of understanding sin. And when she did, she mentioned that some uh, prominent, very well-known Christian uh, women, evangelical leaders even, who had uh, uh, repented of, publicly repented for sins previously committed were now uh, uh, what they call repenting of their repentance, saying that they should not actually have repented. And they were encouraged actually by their social media supporters to see their previously repented sin as nothing more than really a manifestation of sins that were committed against them, therefore absolving themselves of their own sin. And so the logic goes like this. It goes, if someone is older or in a position of power uh, uh, over you and they sin against you, then really any sinful response you may have had to their sin is not really yours, it's theirs. And so with that logic, victimhood essentially becomes an absolution from sin. And she was pointing this out as a problem that we're having in our, in our society and among Christians with the understanding of sin. See, the problem with that logic is it's not biblical. It's cultural. 
It's recently cultural, and it's, very, uh, and it's accepted more and more, especially psychologically uh, uh, and even uh, among counselors. But what's happening is sin is being redefined. And it really is the natural outflow of the new social justice order becoming the standard for truth. Because sin has to be redefined. And you'll see that as we, as we go through this. But, but this kind, or really any kind, of unbiblical logic really should be rejected by all Christians. But, but that's not happening. In, in fact, many, many pulpits, churches are preaching this kind of doctrine now. Many counselors Authors with Christian labels are espousing this flawed logic of of sin. And the question that I want to ask is, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Especially at such a widespread level. And, And my answer is that it's happening because slowly, over time, well meaning Christians. And, and I mean that, I think it's well-meaning Christians are accepting unbiblical understandings of sin. And they may be doing it without realizing it. And so this series, what, what this series aims to do really is to just help us avoid those catastrophic errors. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm using catastrophic intentionally. It's, it's, it's a significant, serious word. I, I'm doing that because I really, truly believe eternity is at stake when it comes to this. And my prayer is that God would help us. So let me pray and ask God to do, to do just that. Lord God, we submit ourselves to your word and your truth. We have already today sung of your wonder. We've sung of your salvation. We've, we've sung of our own sin and being saved from it. Lord, help us, help me, first of all, to be faithful to you and to your word and to your truth, and then help all of us to respond to your word as we should. As we look at this very difficult topic and subject that the Bible deals with so in so many ways and is very clear. So guide us now and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would touch the hearts and minds of those that are here. And my prayer for all of you is that you would just have open minds and hearts to hear what God would have to say to you today in Jesus name. Amen. So I thought it would be good before I started really digging into the topic. Uh, If I gave you some more background, I want to give you three specific reasons for why it's important that we understand sin biblically. Like, okay, why is that important? I talked about that a little bit already, but uh, let me give you three specific reasons. First one is this. You can't truly know or understand who God is without understanding sin from a biblical perspective. I want to repeat that. You can't truly know or understand who God is without understanding sin from a biblical perspective. You may not realize this. This is something that you may not think about too often, but you really can't understand who God is without a 
biblical understanding of sin. You can't understand God's love without understanding how God sees sin. You can't understand God's mercy. How, how could you? His mercy is, is, is attached to the fact that, that he's merciful to sinners. You can't understand God's grace because you don't understand sin. You can't understand God's justice. You'll, you'll, that'll get confused. You, you certainly won't understand God's holiness. What Pastor Tim preached about last week and, and the fact that we're called to be holy and he's a holy God, you won't understand God's compassion because there's not really an understanding of sin from a biblical perspective. And then, of course, we'll never understand his discipline and we'll never understand his judgment without a biblical understanding of sin. And, and let me just say this, it's precisely why our society doesn't understand who God is. How can they understand who God is when most of their time and effort is being spent justifying, defending, and redefining sin and creating God in their own image? We need to understand this, though. Christians, we need to. And I expect, I should say this at the outset, I expect that I might challenge some of your preconceived or previously held ideas about sin. That may happen, and I hope you're open again to hearing what it is that the Spirit of God, what the Word of God says here as we continue to go along. Second, we live in a culture and society that has redefined the ethic and the vocabulary of sin. So the ethic of sin uh, is, is being redefined and the vocabulary of sin, and, it's, and the essential conclusion is this, nothing's really sin. And the illustration I gave you earlier is an example of that. Because as sin continues to get redefined, we're going to find something that happens. And, and check it out in your own life as, as, as I talk about this. What we used to think is sin, we're finding out it's actually not sin. And what, what happens typically when that happens? We feel enlightened, right? We, we feel freed by that. And that, that should be good if we're talking about legalism. But if we're actually talking about holiness and righteousness, then that may not be good. And then what happens when we do that is we also diminish the need for a savior. See, this is, what, this is what's so connected. And we're going to get there. I'm not going to get there today, but we're going to get there. We're going to get to the fact that when you have a biblical understanding of sin, it leads you somewhere there. It, and it's intended to lead you there. And when you don't, you won't go there. You'll go other places. Because who needs a savior if sin isn't really that big of a deal? Third, our sin nature loves our sin and will fight valiantly to defend and justify our sin. This third reason that I'm giving you is why the second reason exists. You know, why do we live in a culture that's redefining sin? Because we love sin. And we love to defend it and justify it. And that's what our culture and society is just doing. But here's, here's the thing we need to understand as believers even. That's true of all of us. 
Even no matter, no matter how young you trusted Christ, you know, I, I trusted Christ as a, as a, as a, young, uh, as a young boy uh, with, with my mom, and, you know, you remember that, and you think, you know, well, I don't have the testimonies of some of these others. Let, let me just say that this is true of all of us, every one of us. You love your sin and you will fight valiantly to defend and justify. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week as we understand our nature, our sin nature. But we need to fight that nature, and we have biblical descriptions of how to do that. And if we're not doing that, we're giving into it. So my primary objective over the next week, uh, or the next nine weeks or so, I think that's about how long, we'll see how that goes, um, is, is this, for true believers to understand sin in the way God understands sin, which is a biblical understanding. So this is my hope here, that, that we will understand sin in the way God understands sin, and again, driving this from a biblical understanding. And again, we'll take probably the next nine weeks or so to, to break this down, and then you're going to have the opportunity for discussion and prayer together in your community groups as you talk about this. And I hope that that only helps you help each other as we look into God's word and as we grow together in this. All right, so let me move on from here. I wanted to give you some of those reasons before we we move on. I want to start now with the origin of sin, which actually starts in the heavenly realm. I want to start at the, the very beginning. We'll look at the origin of sin because before there was sin in the garden, there was sin in the heavenly realm. In the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, you can turn there. I'll also have it on the screen here in verse 11. This is written by the prophet Ezekiel, and he's writing about the king of Tyre. But prophetically, it's speaking also to the fall of Lucifer, the greatest of all angels created, again, until he sinned. So Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11. I want to read all of this, so stay with me. And again, it'll be on the screen here. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre. So again, this is the prophecy of Tyre. But what we see here, which we see a lot in prophecy, is the fact that also what we're talking about in in the present can have also a prophetic understanding. And say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and grafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your own splendor. So the first sin that we see here was really one of pride, the desire to be like God, to be God. And Lucifer was this, was a beautiful angel created by God, but he rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven. And then a third of the angels followed him. 
Isaiah also writes of this prophetically in Isaiah chapter 14. It'll come up here on the screen again for you to see, but you can turn there if you want. Isaiah 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I will, I will, I will. What we see here is Satan speaks in I wills and God speaks I am. When Lucifer fell, he never, he fell never again to be restored or redeemed. We need to understand that. That's a biblical understanding. He is now the object of God's holy wrath. There are some people who believe and teach that, that Satan can be redeemed. But that's, that's, that's not, again, a biblical understanding. And so now we see this, this origin of sin in the heavenly realms. Now we move to the origin of sin in the garden among humanity. So this disgraced angel appears again in Eden. He's now described as a serpent, a cunning, deceitful serpent. And what's his goal? His goal is to cause humanity to disgrace themselves just as he had. His, his wicked desire is to cause God's so-called greatest creation, humanity, to fail him. He wants to bring reproach on the holiness of God by attacking the greatest creation of God, humanity. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Did he really say that? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat. Here, she's repeating truth here. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. She, she has it right. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Speaking against God, twisting already what God has said. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He offers Eve the same lie, really, that he told himself, that you can be like God. And Eve believed him, which means when, when you believe the lie of Satan, you're not believing the truth of God. Those, that's, those things are happening at the same time. So she didn't believe what God had told her. She ate and then she offered the fruit to Adam and he ate and sin entered into the newly created world, sin and death. And we're going to talk again more about that. Now, I want to back up a little bit and say now, if everything was good, and this question has probably been asked by friends of yours or people who maybe have questions about Christianity, why, why did Eve and then Adam sin in the first place? Why? Well, one of the things we can conclude is that Adam was created by God with the ability to not sin, but not created with the inability to sin, which is clear because he sinned, they sinned. 
But why did God allow sin to begin with, right? That question's been asked by people. Well, why did he allow it to begin with? Well, here's a, here's, a, here's a concept that we need to understand. We need to understand that the fall of humanity happened under the providence and sovereignty of God. It wasn't a gross miscalculation by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It wasn't a big problem that they had to gather and say, okay, we didn't expect this, let's adjust. And if you have that understanding, the, the, then, the fun, then the foundation of your understanding of sin and of God, can you see how they, they're connected? Starts to fall apart. And if we don't understand this right, we'll never understand sin biblically. We won't understand God biblically. The reality is this. God chose in his sovereignty and providence to redeem humanity from sin through the death and resurrection of Christ and in his sovereign wisdom, what we as believers gain through being redeemed from sin by Christ is somehow far better than what we would have gained if Adam never fell. This is, this is just an understanding of, of what God has done. This is what Ephesians 1.4 means. God chose in him before the foundation of the world. Right? You, 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 can't get, you can't get too far in the book of Ephesians before you realize that this was before the foundation of the world, meaning in eternity past, God chose to redeem us, which means he chose that this would be the, re- the means through which he would work. That doesn't mean he's sinful. He's holy. He's perfect. But it does still mean that he's provident and sovereign. So I want to now go to the question of what is sin, which is really the the main thrust of what I want to get to today. But I wanted to start with the origin of sin with Lucifer in the heavenly realm, and then he came to deceive the first humans in Eden. Now I want to move to the definition of sin. What is sin? And I I want to say this to you. I think sin is more difficult to define than we realize and, and many times we, we really do get it wrong. Like if I, if I asked you this, if I said, how would you define sin if someone asked you to define it? Like if, you, if you're talking to somebody and we say it all the time, right? Jesus died for our sins. And you tell somebody else, Jesus died for your sins. And they say to you, oh, what is sin? What do we typically do? We typically respond to that by listing sins. Why is that? Well, it's because we're much better at listing sins than we are at understanding sin. And there's a difference. I want to say that again. We're better at listing sins than we are at understanding sin. And this is what we're hoping to do, to understand this, again, biblically, for the purpose of holiness. The Hebrew word used in the Old Testament for sin has a meaning of missing the mark. I'm sure you've heard that before if you've been in church uh, and and growing up, you've probably heard that uh, about missing the mark. It's used in archery and and that word was used in in that kind of way. But if our understanding, if our understanding of sin is nothing more than missing the mark, then we really will have a horribly uh, we, we would have horribly misunderstood sin. 
if that's all we think it is. Just, you know, just, I just missed it. I was really close. In the Old Testament, there are numerous words and descriptions given to describe sin. Words like pride and murder and idolatry and adultery and wickedness and transgressions and rebellion and faithlessness and unbelief and abomination and many more. The word iniquity is also used often in the Old Testament. It's one of the most used words in the Old Testament. It appears more than 200 times in the Old Testament to describe sin. And that word has a very specific meaning. It It has a meaning of twisting, distorting God's law, God's truth. Now, isn't that relevant? And in the New Testament, we have other words that are used. A lot of them are the same, but there's words like flesh and sin nature and lawlessness and unrighteousness and trespasses, impurity, drunkenness, disobedient, debauchery, and again, so many more. I'm not trying to give you a comprehensive list. But my point is this, biblically speaking, sin is described as much worse than just missing the mark. Oh, we were so close. Just missed it. No, we weren't. We're, we're, we're according to the way that the Bible describes these things, we, and we're going to see this more, as we, again, even as we go f- forward from today, it is much worse than just missing the mark. So what I'd like to do is at least provide a working definition of sin. And this is uh, something that you may have even seen before. It's very similar to the uh, Westminster Confession. Sin is any lack of conformity to the moral character of God or the law of God. It's any lack of conformity to the moral character of God or the law of God. Now, if I asked you this question, I said, what is one of the most important words in that definition now, you don't have to answer out loud, don't want you to, but I would say it's the word any. Think about that. Any. So we sin by doing evil, we sin by speaking evil, we sin by thinking evil, but we also sin by not doing the good that we should do. We often don't think about that. We typically think of sin as actions or behavior, but it's much more encompassing than just that. Any lack of conformity to the moral character of God or the law of God to a holy God is sin. So let me, I want to break this down a little bit more. The greatest commandment, right? We know that, right? The greatest commandment, it's, we've seen it plenty of times in scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Now, do you have to obey commands? Yes, right? Like it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, hey, if you have some time, It's a command. When you don't obey the command, what are you doing to the command? You're disobeying the command. So when we don't love God 
in this way, we sin. We don't think about that too often. It's sin to not love God in this way because it's, we're commanded to love God this way. So we need to understand something about sin. Sin includes the absence of the righteousness you should be thinking and doing. It's the absence also of the righteousness that God intends for you to do that is not being done. So it's more than just like at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the day, you're getting ready to go to bed and you're like, man, I I think I did pretty good today. I didn't have any of those big sins that I've been really trying to avoid. I think I think I did all right. No big sins committed. But what I'm trying to do is help us see that we need to expand our understanding of this to be made holy in the way that God desires to make us holy. You see James 4.17 up there. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it. It's sin when you don't do the right thing. Who's the judge of that? Because what we typically do is we say, well, you know, I don't know what they think, but I didn't really think I should do that. The judge of it is God. He's the one who will judge whether or not what it is we should be doing that we're not is sin or it's not. He's the one. So to to not be doing the righteous things we should be doing, to not be thinking godly righteous thoughts as we should is sin. Romans 14.23 is another scripture that uh, is, is difficult for us. It says, for whatever does not proceed from faith is okay, just do better next time. Is, hey, you be you. You be you, it's all right. God, God knows you're just trying to be your best self. That's not what it says. Whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin. Sin. It's, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm just as convicted as you are. It just started earlier <laughs> for me. Because I was looking at all of this for a while, thinking, how in the world do we, do you talk? No one's coming back. (laughs) See who's here next week. It's sin. Simply being faithless is sin. We We have narrowed sin to specific actions that we're just trying to avoid. Think about it. I'm sure, we, I'm sure you've done it. I've done it. You're, you have, okay, I just got to avoid this. If I can, you know, I'm, I'm really got to, I'm working on my temper. I'm working on this. I'm working on that. If I avoid that, I'm... D- Whatever doesn't proceed from faith in God. And what you're going to see here is we're going to go through this. You're going to go, you know what? I can't do this. Exactly. This is why you can't, you can't just do better. The Holy Spirit is the only way. We're going to see that. There are sins of commission. These include unrighteous and rebellious actions, behaviors against God and his ways. There are sins of omission. These, again, include the absence of the righteousness you should be doing, thinking, and living out. And again, without the Spirit's help, you're not even going to realize that sometimes you're committing 
sins of omission. Sometimes we don't even realize we're committing sins of commission without the Spirit's help because the Spirit convicts. The Spirit knows. The Spirit always knows. The Spirit didn't miss anything today. You know, the spirit didn't fall asleep. The, the, you know, the spirit's not tired. The, the spirit's, he knows. We just, we just need to yield to him. So as you can see, as you start to dig into this, this sin problem is really twisted. Much more than may, we, we may have realized. Now, now I want to delve even deeper. And I know I'm I know I'm challenging you to think some really deep thoughts here. It's Sunday morning, you know, stay with me. Uh, we're, we're gonna, now I want to get into the essence of sin. So it's kind of back to this question of what is sin. But, but if I said to you, well, is sin, you know, like a material substance? Is it, is it something that you kind of get on you and you just got to like wash it off, you know? Uh, or something you can hold and touch? Or is it just a person? You know, is it just really Satan? Or is it, you know, what is the essence of sin? Before I provide an, an answer there, at least try to give some direction there, I want to read Romans 5. We're going to be in Romans, um, I expect, quite often. Uh, Romans 5, verse 6. This is, again, Paul. Uh, While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. That little phrase there, is there to set up what he's about to say next. He's like, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die, but God. Like that whole phrase there before is just to, is to set up, a God, God did way more than just that. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God. Now, my point in, in going here is, Notice how humanity is identified in verse six, the ungodly, the ungodly. Notice how humanity is identified in verse eight, sinners, the ungodly and sinners. The Bible gives humans an identity, ungodly sinners. Now that's not new to us. Like we, we've heard this, we, we know that. And a lot of times we'll even refer to ourselves as sinners. And that's, 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 a bib, that's biblical language. Uh, but what does that mean? What does that mean? That, that goes back again to the question of what is the essence of sin? If we are ungodly sinners, what, what makes us so? I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna help uh, kind of answer that. I wanna look at a, a quote from a, a Puritan theologian uh, by the name of Her- Herman Bavink, and I'm sure not many of you have read your Herman Bavink books this week, probably. Um, but when you're, when, you're, um, when you're doing a study about sin, uh, you, you, read, you read the Puritans because they wrote a lot about sin. And you can't, there's not a lot of modern writing about sin. There's not a lot of modern podcasts and other things about sin from a biblical perspective. So this is what ends up happening. But here's what he said. He said, sin, uh, put up here on the screen for you to see, sin accordingly has to be understood and described neither as an existing thing nor as being in things that exist, but rather as a defect, a deprivation, an absence of the good as weakness. Now, it's, it's interesting too, because we looked at Romans 5 and it says, while we were still weak. 
You see some similarities there. And I'm not, I'm not putting this up here for you to take as the word of God. I'm not doing that. I'm putting it up there for you to think about it. But sin is like a parasite that lives off its host. And its host is anything that God created is good. Think about that. Sin feeds off the good that God created. And what does it do to the good God created? It distorts it. It perverts it. It spoils it. And it brings it to ruin. And it's what Satan did in Eden. He took the good and he ruined it. He ruined it. That, that's, that's what he does. And that's what sin does. So stay with me again on this. Hopefully you're tracking with me here. If, if someone has a disease of the arm, right? And the arm becomes partially paralyzed as a result. In, in that example, the arm itself is not the paralysis. And the paralysis is not the arm. They're not the same thing. The paralysis is the disease that is cleaving to the arm. It's the same with sin. Sin is a, is a disease that cleaves to humans and it perverts and it distorts and it seeks to bring us to ruin. It seeks to destroy what is good. The good that God created. Some Puritan writers have written about the fact that sin actually needs the good of God to be sin because to be sin, it needs to take what is good and make it evil. The good that God created. God gives humans authority. Authority in the right way is good. But what does sin do to authority? It perverts it. God gives humans to this, God gives uh, humans th- this world to live in, this beautiful, uh, you know, uh, earth that we live on. And, and what do we do? We, we begin to worship the creation and not the creator. God gives gender and sex to humanity. God created male and female and then gives, and gives sex to be enjoyed in the, in the confines of, of marriage. And what does sin do? It distorts it. It perverts it. it God gives work to humanity and, 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 and you work and it, and it feels good to work. Yesterday was one of those days, right? It was a nice day out and many of you probably did work, right? And, and you, feel, you feel good about that work that you, that you do. It's because God, God created us to, to use our hands and our minds and and, and to do this work. But what does sin do? It distorts it by, by making work an idol or by, by putting it in, in its wrong place. This is what sin is. And it's what sin does. It wrecks, it distorts, it perverts, and it brings to ruin the good that God created. And it's been his intent from the time he was thrown out and cast out of heaven to do that. And that's what, that's what he wants to do in your life. And that's what sin seeks to do in your life because that's what sin does. And so for us to battle sin, for us to fight sin, for us to kill sin, we must first understand what it is. We must identify it. 
biblically. And that's what I've desired to do today, to kind of give us the first glimpse into that. To understand this biblically. We're going to be talking about sin over the next, again, several weeks. And I'm going to be asking you as we do this to respond in various ways, to respond in different ways. Today, the response is very simple. I want to simply ask you to ask God to open your heart, your mind, your body, your soul to this biblical understanding of sin. That's, that's all I want to ask you to do. Ask God to, to open your, your mind and your heart to this understanding of sin. Ask God to help you understand sin as it is described or as it is intended to be understood in the scriptures and not as understood in the culture. And, and, we're, and, and as you do that, admit that there might, there might be excusing of sin in your life because you've accepted an unbiblical understanding of it. But I think right now it's, it's really just more about asking you to be open. So if you really think about it, I'm, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, I'm not really asking, really I'm not asking you to do anything because the spirit's going to do the work. I'm just asking you to be open to let him speak to you. And by praying in this way, I I think it's powerful though. I think it's a powerful way to pray for you to be open and allowing God to speak to you in this way. You're going to give room uh, for the Holy Spirit to do the work in you that he is seeking to do, which is what he does. And then when you begin, what's so incredible about this, and again, we're going to, there's so many parts of this. I wanted to dig deeper immediately, but we got to get there. When, When you begin to understand sin as God sees it, something happens. You don't seek to defend or justify it anymore. See, one of, one of the reasons we defend and justify is because we don't understand it. But when we start to understand how evil it is, we have no desire to defend it or to justify it. We want to see it killed in us because we see how deadly it is. And that's when God begins to do an amazing work in our hearts and in our minds. So my prayer is that God in his great mercy would help all of us as we seek to understand sin in the way that the Bible describes. So I'm gonna ask, would you pray with me? Worship team will come up and lead uh, lead us in a a song that we can reflect on, uh, reflecting on the holiness of God. And again, I... Uh, there's going to be different responses as we go through. But I think for now, if you could just say to God in this time, God, I want to open my mind and my heart to to a biblical understanding of sin. And just say, Lord, I, I'm, I know that's a dangerous prayer of what, what, what he might do, but you, you're, you're asking him to do that and giving him that room And then we'll see how he works through that. Lord God, we are so thankful to you that the ungodly and the sinners were loved while ungodly and sinners. And that Christ 
died for us. Help us to understand uh, these difficult things as you have revealed them in your word, as we desire as a body of Christ to yield ourselves more and more to the Holy Spirit and to be the holy people that you have called us to be. Be holy as I am holy. Help us, Lord. We thank you again for your truth. In Jesus' holy name, amen.